Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. Are you a woman who's ready to excel in her career and her life? Are you ready to be a professional saleswoman by using your inherent qualities? Are you a woman who wants to be better prepared for a leadership position? Then you're in the right place. Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman. It's about women in business, work-life balance, leadership, and current events related to gender communications. Be prepared to be inspired, motivated, and challenged. Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman is your connection to women nationally, internationally, and globally. So get comfy and see what the buzz is all about. Find out more at www.sellinginaskirt.com. Now, your host, Judy Hoberman, on C-Suite Radio. You know, when I was in school, I absolutely positively earned every single A that I received, whether it was in high school, college, or when I went back to college for another degree. I didn't learn like everyone else. I wasn't a typical visual learner or an auditory learner either. I was both on steroids. I was on a mission to get straight A's and I was prepared to figure out my own learning style. And from that, I wanted to also understand how other people learn. Now, I knew I was intelligent, but it was the testing that took me down a notch or two. I read too much into a question and gave arguments for why I answered it the way I did. For instance, during a microbiology final exam, There was a bonus question, and if you decided to answer it, it would be counted whether you were right or wrong. Now, since I studied hard, which I will describe in a moment, and would know all the answers, I decided I'm going to answer it. The answer was no, and I said, and here's why. When I got my exam back, it was an A-. minus. Now, that's impossible since I was a straight-A student. When I questioned the professor, something I don't necessarily encourage anyone to do, he said to me with his no-nonsense, non-emotional stare, what was the correct answer? I said, no. He said, correct. That's when I said, and here's why. He said, did I ask you for an explanation? I said, no, but. He said, 98% of your explanation was perfect. One little thing was not 100% correct, hence the A minus. Now I continued arguing my case and he finally, he told me that he would change it, but in the future, read what's asked and follow what the professor tells you to do. Now, can you feel how motivating that was? Do you think that he inspired me to want to do better or go any further? Is that the way you're supposed to learn? How the teacher wants to teach? 
Isn't the saying, if students can't learn the way we teach them, then we must teach them the way they learn. Now, I've never had a teacher that watched how his students learned and adapted to them. And as a trainer myself, I make sure that I incorporate all different learning styles so that each person in my training has the greatest advantage to succeed and understands that I care and is motivated to learn and inspired to continue. So back to how I studied. I was a commuter student, so I drove to and from school three times a week. Now, see if you can follow this. I would attend a class and sit in the first row front seat. I would take notes and record the class at the same time. Writing helped me learn and listening cemented it. When I got home, I would take out my notebook for that class and turn the recorder on. I would listen to the class again and fill in anything that wasn't 100% clear in my notes. Then I would re-record it in my own voice, and that would reinforce it yet again. The next day, driving back to school, I would listen to the tape again, so now it was at least the third or fourth time I had heard that information, and now I owned it. So can you see how I got A's, and can you definitely see why I earned them? Now, while that system worked for me, it probably would not work for others. In fact, scientists and psychologists have developed a number of different models to understand the different ways that people learn best. Now, one popular theory, the VARK model, V-A-R-K, identifies four primary types of learners, visual, auditory, reading and writing, and kinesthetic. And each learning type responds best to a different method of teaching. Auditory learners will remember information best after reciting it back to the presenter, while kinesthetic learners would prefer to participate in a hands-on activity. Now, I'm sure many of you listening are trainers or presenters, and your goal is to be able to reach all the attendees in your audience. Now, while it all begins in a classroom, when you're in the workplace, you have to learn to engage each other in the same four learning styles. Now, of course, there are other styles that are just as popular and just as common today more than ever because they talk about listening to the mind-body connection and they, I'm using air quotes, might be called intuitive learners. So intuitive learners say things like, let me think this through first. And they focus on ideas, possibilities, theories, and abstract information and use intuition to make learning connections. Very different from visual, auditory, reading, and kinesthetic learners. They like innovation, they dislike repetition, and are quick to grasp new concepts. Intuitive learners are comfortable with abstractions and mathematical formulations, but they don't like to study that involves memorization and calculations. They tend to work fast and to be innovative. And if you're an intuitive learner, try to find interpretations or theories or connections that link the facts. And pay attention to details and checking, and make sure that you read the whole question before answering. I wish I would have known that earlier when I was a student. Then there's others that learn through humor, and humor can enhance a learning experience and create a positive learning environment. And this can reduce anxiety about studying difficult subjects. And humor has been shown to increase attention and interest, and it can also transform an inattentive learner into a somewhat more attentive learner. The key thing to remember is to do what's comfortable for you. Not only will it make you more approachable, it will also help put your students or attendees more at ease. Now, there's also storytelling and music and so many other ways to learn. The key is to be able to read your audience, whether they're seven or 70. Once you understand how they learn, the rest is history. They will learn and want to continue doing so. Now, I go back and think what the hours that I studied and the way that I had to discover that for myself, one can only imagine what else I could have been doing instead of writing, recording, listening, recording, and then listening again. I'm exhausted just thinking about it. And as William J. Spady had said, all students can learn and succeed, but not on the same day, in the same way. 
We're going to take a break to thank our sponsor, Walking on the Glass Floor. And when we come back, you're going to hear from my guest who will share her thoughts about learning and development, which can and should motivate and inspire. This is Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman on C-Suite Radio, and we will be right back. What happens after shattering the glass ceiling? You're now walking on the glass floor. Walking on the Glass Floor, Seven Essential Qualities for Women Who Lead is a timely and indispensable business guide for all women, whether you're moving out of a dorm room or moving into an executive suite. Introducing readers to the seven keys to success in business and life, Judy Hoberman brings her fresh voice, sales savvy, and thoughtful approach to each of the essential and most powerful leadership qualities. Written in her trademark no-nonsense glass half-full prose, Judy's blueprint for business teaches all women how to cultivate and strengthen key skills that will serve them in both business and life. Uncover amazing qualities they already possess that will help them lead and succeed and harness universal leadership qualities to continue reaching their full potential. By providing authentic real-life case studies and inspiring quotes throughout, Judy fills each page with the timely advice women need right now. Walking on the glass floor is like having Judy Hoberman sitting right next to you as your business mentor, personal life coach, and best friend all at the same time. You can order your own copy of the book at walkingontheglassfloor.com. Welcome back to Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman on C-Suite Radio. Now it's time for my guest, Cheryl Johnson. She's a performance solution specialist with more than 20 years of experience in coaching, learning development, and workplace training performance. With her pioneering attitude, she's made strong contributions in the areas of learning with an emphasis on behavioral change. She's been recognized as a leader in the architecture and design of interactive multimedia learning systems and strategies. And she's also published by well-known educational psychologist Michael Allen in his 2012 e-learning annual. Cheryl has dedicated her life to developing learning solutions that drive performance at work and in one's personal life. And it was while working with a partner at Voice Tech in 2001 that she assisted in the instructional design strategy for a powerful, interactive, patented, landmark online training solution for voice recognition technology long before online learning was deemed to be an effective learning solution. She continues to seek solutions to aid in the learning and development process. And in 2011, she partnered with Mental Training Inc. to develop a revolutionary mobile application, Mental App Mobile Mental Trainer, that supports high-performing athletes in tracking mental training progress and connecting their success to their physical and mental training efforts. So welcome to the show, Cheryl. I am super excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So let's start with the discussion of the day, learning. What do you think about that? Well, it's my favorite topic. I know that. I've always <laughs> been a very avid learner. I'm, from the time I was very young, I was very interested not only in learning for myself, but you know what motivated and inspired people to want to learn and what would help them achieve whatever their goals were. Learning to me is at the core of all achievement. Okay, so do you think, in your opinion, is all learning motivating? In my opinion, it is, but I have experienced many situations where it is not only not motivating, but it's actually very discouraging for people, and they would just as soon zone out or tune out anything that has anything to do with learning. Hmm, that doesn't sound very motivating or inspiring. No, and I'm sure it stating the obvious here, but students, especially in a school setting, when they aren't achieving any level of success, 
in learning, they tend to tune out any type of opportunity to learn because it just, either the information isn't being presented in a way that's meaningful for them. For example, my son was diagnosed with a learning disability early on, and he was diagnosed with auditory processing deficit, which if you test his hearing, he would test just fine. He could hear things in terms of pitch and level and that kind of thing, but he didn't hear sounds correctly. And it was a long time before I really fully appreciated it because at some point later on in my life, just out of curiosity, I took a test to test my own ability to process auditory information accurately. And I was amazed because I, I guess it was somewhat genetic. He got it from me. Mine definitely was not as severe as his, but it means you hear sounds incorrectly. And can you imagine, especially when you're in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, if you're not hearing sounds correctly, you're not going to be able to read or process what's being discussed in class in any meaningful way. And so teachers not understanding that oftentimes will get very frustrated with students because it's like, you know, I've told you this three times, we've gone over it numerous times. Mm. And it's just, it's a very frustrating situation for both the teacher and the student. And if you can't read early on, you are really going to struggle the rest of your school career. And that's what my son did. I mean, we finally found a teacher or a couple of teachers, I should say, who really were able to diagnose this problem and help him. And it just made all the difference in the world. But those early years were so critical to his formation of any kind of, oh, I love learning. I want to be able to just grasp every opportunity to learn, you know? Well, they don't even know that that's what they should be doing is learning and growing and so on and so forth. And when you talk about hearing, also vision. My son, I remember this distinctly. I want to say he was in first or second grade. And I remember the teacher calling and saying, you need to check his eyes because for some reason, he's just not seeing what I'm showing him. The same thing that your son was told, why aren't you listening? So they would show my son something like three or four times and he just wasn't grasping it. And we took him to an ophthalmologist and the doctor said he doesn't have good eyesight was the way he meant he wanted to say it. And when he put on the corrective lenses, the first thing my son said to me was, mommy, did you know that leaves have lines in them? And I started to cry. I thought, yeah, why didn't anybody say something to me earlier? How come he didn't know? Because he wouldn't have known. And was I a really bad parent? You know, I get what you're saying. And it's very, it's frustrating because how do you know? How would you even know that if a teacher didn't care enough to, to show you? So I would imagine that some of the success that you're having has to do with all the frustration that you see going on in learning. People always ask me, you know, where, where did you get all of your vast array of experience in learning? And I always tell them, you know, my first real beginnings in starting to understand that was when I had children. Mm-hmm. I had four children and all four of them were different. Yep. I had three of them that were honor students and then I had one that really struggled. But even my honor students were the, you know, each of them did things differently. You know, they just wanted to engage with material on a different level and in a different way. And it's interesting because now I'm working at the University of California and I am mentoring, coaching some students, their interns. And it's just so interesting to me to see the transition from school to the workplace. We have so conditioned our kids to think that grades are everything. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I did the assignment, I'm done. 
and you come to the workplace and it's like, no, I gave you that assignment and you did a great job, but you know what? There's a whole lot more. And they were, you can just see the motivation just go, oh, right. And I'm like, no, you know, and I've really had to learn to change the way I phrase things. Cause it's like, I thought I was giving you praise for telling you, Hey, you did a great job. And it's like, oh, but I thought I was done. You know, where's my A? You know, what, what grade are you giving me for this? It's like in the workplace, that's just not how it works. Mm -hmm. So as a leader, do you have to be more aware and more like a, and I don't want to say like a teacher, but it is almost like a teacher. Do you have to be more aware in the way that your team learns and is motivated? Not many leaders will sit down and one by one say, okay, so Cheryl, I understand this is how you learn. So we'll do it this way. And Judy, this is how you, you have to go to such a, you know, an individual connection to make sure that they're motivated or, you know, how, as a leader, what do you say? What do you do? Well, this is interesting because people have varying opinions on this, of course, but my opinion is, and if you think back, you know, who was your favorite manager? Who was your favorite boss? It's somebody who took an interest in you. Mm -hmm. And that in and of itself is incredibly motivating. And if you don't take an interest in the people that work for you and, and want to develop them, they're not going to be motivated and, and want to perform well for you or the organization. My cousin called me one day and they own their own business. It's, it's a rather large business. And they wanted to take a lot of their lower level employees or entry level employees and promote them into management. And the first question I asked her was, you know, what criteria are you looking for to promote them? And she's like, oh, well, you know, if, if they do their job really well and if they know what they're doing and, you know, in terms of the technical aspect of the job. And I said, personally, I would be looking for something totally different in a manager. A manager is somebody who really brings out the best in people. Sure, they need to know on some level how to do things from a technical aspect. But if you can motivate and inspire people to learn, then guess what? They might know more than you about, you know, the technical aspect of the job, but you're bringing out the best in them and everyone else. And so I think, you know, as I've watched the transitions over the years and the, especially moving from, you know, more of a manufacturing and industrial type society into more of an information is that people are starting to see the value in hiring or promoting managers that are able to really work well with their people. And the simple thing I did with my interns was just simply, even before an, I gave them an assignment or gave them something to do, we would sit down and we would talk through what the process is. And they understood that even myself and the people I work with, when we do something, we've just come to expect, we've been in the workforce so long that, oh, okay, great. You got it to this level. Now, how do we get it to the next level? Mm -hmm. And once I started preparing them for how things are different in the workplace and that you don't get grades and that kind of thing. And you're not always judged based on, and this is, this is really interesting. And I, I wish I could find this quote. I wish I could find where I, I read this years ago, but they interviewed a whole bunch of students and it comes back to, you know, I was listening to your intro and they ask the most successful students at this one particular school, you know, this isn't a real in-depth study that's been validated and vetted and everything. What is it that you feel makes you successful? Why do you get such good grades? Mm 
you know, <laughs> and you would expect them all to say, oh, because I studied hard and because, you know, I, I really applied myself. And almost across the board, they all said, I learned to give the teacher what they wanted to hear. Oh, uh-huh. Right? Yeah. And, <laughs> and our, our schools are conditioning our kids, you know, as they come into the workforce, that that's what they want to do. They want to give me what they think I want to hear or what I want to see. And on some level, that's part of doing your job. But the other aspect of it is I want you to think. I want you to be creative. I want you to come up with new ideas. And they really struggle with that. They just, yeah, your best students oftentimes are your least creative. Yes, yes. And But don't you think that that's also one of the things that people do in the real world? Forget about their professional life, their, their personal life, where they say things and do things because they believe that that's what people want to hear and see. So rather than be who you really are authentically, you're being someone totally different. Definitely. I agree. And in my book, The Ambition Quotient, it's been about, oh, I guess it's going on almost 10 years ago. I came across a study that said that as students transition into the workplace, five key attributes that most employers find are missing are creativity, problem solving, communication, team building, and resilience. And you'll find various forms of these different five attributes. And that's really what my book is all about is how do we inspire these types of attributes in our employees? And hopefully, you know, as we can't really change the school, the school system is so deeply ingrained in the way they do things. We sometimes get frustrated with really large organizations and we say it's really hard to, you know, turn the Titanic, even a slight, you know, mm -hmm. slight bit out of the way. But our schools are even harder. These five key attributes, and oftentimes we think, okay, so I'm going to teach a class on being creative. I'm going to teach a class on problem solving. And what I've been working on, one of my main projects that I've been working on in the last two years is actually building those types of attributes into any type of learning experience that people have at work. And so that they're actually learning it while they're doing it and not just oh, I went and took a class on it. Now let's hope that transfers over to the workplace. Yeah, we had a few scenario-based learning experiences. And now I'm, quote, an expert on how to communicate effectively. So that's been my mission is to take and build those attributes into the learning and into the job and just what you do every day. Okay, so tell us what a performance solution specialist actually does and how did you become one <laughs> it's funny because i actually gave myself that title i love that title <laughs> consultant <laughs> yeah it was many years ago it's interesting because once i gave it to myself i started noticing other people had it so i don't know if chicken before the egg kind of thing but oh flattery um, it's just when they take the same things and they do the same things it's just part of flattery it's not it's borrowing yeah mm -hmm. uh, and that's what creativity is is borrowing other people's right. ideas and building on them that's right. But originally, you know, when I would apply for jobs, I would say I'm an instructional designer. It took me a long time to figure out why people would hire me as an instructional designer and then give me tasks that I thought were totally not related to being an instructional designer. I was just like, okay, finally I sat down and figured out, you know, what are people looking for in an instructional designer? And so instead of being frustrated because I would get work and it wouldn't be what I was expecting, 
I finally decided I'm going to clearly define who I am, what I'm trying to accomplish, and what I want to bring to the table when you hire me. So that's when I sat down and said, I'm here to change performance. I'm not here to write technical instructions on how to, you know, build this widget. There's a time and a place for that, and that's a very valuable skill, but that's not the skill I bring to the table. The skills that I bring to the table are understanding your employees, understanding what motivates them, and then providing learning experiences for them that will help them achieve that. Okay, so when you go into a company and you tell them that, do they actually hear what you want to do and what you should be doing? And instead of giving you other things, do they finally get it? (laughs) Oh, I wish it were that simple. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. (laughs) Once again, rather than be frustrated, I had to step back and say, okay, now I'm presenting my case and I'm saying, this is what I want to do. And I'm still, and they're all like super impressed and know you've done all these wonderful things. And then it's like, oh, but I want you to sit here and go back to sitting in front of a computer and creating an online learning module that's just basically reading. Yeah. Yeah. We won't even go there. So then I got better at interviewing them. So they were interviewing me, but I was also going to interview them. And I was just, you know, point blank going to ask, you know, what are, what are the day-to-day activities that you anticipate that I will be doing, you know, if, if I were to get hired? And what is it that you want me to accomplish when I come to the job? And it's really helped me be in a much better position to align their expectations and my expectations so that they mesh and that we're both getting what we want out of the engagement. Okay. So here's a question for you. In today's world, there's a number of skills that we are hopefully seeing more of in business, like innovation and creativity and patience and generosity, just to name a few. Where does ambition fit in? Because especially for women, when you're ambitious, it's not the same as when a man is ambitious. And we all know that there's words attached to it. And some of them start with B. But, you know, (laughs) but the truth of the matter is, you know, you have to show ambition. And especially, you know, you wrote a book about it. So where does ambition actually fit in? It's interesting because I haven't found this so much of a gender issue in my own. And this is just in my own personal experience. I'm not saying that it's not a gender issue out there for other people. But when I first started my career a long, long time ago, I was working for an organization and things were going pretty well. But then management changed. And you know how that goes when management changes. A lot of times they just want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and mm-hmm. bring in a whole new team. And that happened to me a couple of times. And finally, I was working for an organization. And my boss, um, my manager, who I thought was an awesome, awesome manager, sat down with me one day and she says, you know, has anyone ever called you a maverick? And I was <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I kind of knew what that word meant, but I went and looked it up and saw the actual definition. And then I started looking at it from the perspective of, you know, what is it in the workplace? And I was like, Ooh, I like being a maverick. This is cool. And she's right. like, Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> On your level, you know, cause I've never really aspired to be a manager or a CEO or a boss of anything. I mean, I am the boss of my own independent consulting company, but that's okay. They don't necessarily like mavericks at the level that I usually was employed at. They want people who come to work. It's like school. Come to work, do your job, do what I tell you to do. Yeah, you can use a little bit of creativity here and there and tweak things around the edges, but don't come in and change the whole process, you know. Don't have a lot of good ideas and because we're kind of happy with the way things are. And so that's been one of my biggest challenges 
you know, in the many 30 years that I've been working is learning how to present my ideas in a way that isn't a threat to them and doesn't say, hey, we need to change the way we're doing things here because I have such great ideas. It goes back to the communication, Mm -hmm. learning to communicate more effectively and how to work better as a team and how to work within the system at the same time still bringing innovation and advancement to the organization at the same time. You know, when you think about when we were little and we were creative and innovative and people would encourage it up to a certain point, and then all of a sudden it was more like, you know, go with the flow and and don't rock Mm -hmm. the boat and all this kind of nonsense. But is the process of going from ordinary to extraordinary really a difficult one? Yes. In my experience, hands down. Change is hard. I wrote a whole thing and it was, I wish I could go back and find it because it really, when I had myself, my article published in Michael Allen's annual, it was about chaos. And it's how chaos can be a really good thing, or it can be a really bad thing. And how chaos in our mind, how we process it and use it in a way that channels certain amount of creativity and allows for a systematic change in the way we do things. This is so interesting. I was watching Gone with the Wind last night. Mm. And yeah. And you know the significant amount of change that came right after the Civil War and the South was just devastated. And some people saw that as an opportunity to really dramatically change the way things were done. Mm-hmm. And other people saw it as just this devastating, it destroyed our way of life, it destroyed everything about, you know, everything we know. And I'm seeing this pandemic and I'm seeing the parallels were just amazing to me as I was watching the Gone with the Wind last night. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I love Josh Bearson. And I was reading some of his work in the last couple of days, uh, just about how the workplace is going to change. No longer are we gradually making this shift toward, I won't even go into all of the different changes Mm -hmm. that have been going on, the chaos that has been this underlying bubbling kind of chaos. And the pandemic just brought it all out and said, oh my, everything's changing now. And he said, but look at all the good that's coming out of it. And look at all of the wonderful things that are happening, despite all of the terrible things that are happening. And I think people, change is hard for people. So I have had to learn, once again, how to systematically go with change. But then at the same time, when something like this pandemic happens, embrace change and go, okay, It isn't going to be a slow, steady process. It is going to be chaotic. It's going to be messy. It's going to create a lot of angst and discomfort in people. But yet, if we embrace it instead of fighting it, something beautiful can come out of it. Right. And I think that people have to understand that there's a lot of opportunities that are presented to us and we just have to be open for opportunities. And that's where the chaos can calm down a little bit. I think it's all change in mindset also. You have to really, you know, we can go, the way we go into this is the way we're going to come out of it. And if you go in, you know, freaking out all the time and waiting for the other shoe to drop, which obviously it's going to drop at some point. Mm -hmm. But if you just go in like that and never think about, well, what can I do? It's going to be difficult. I am a speaker. And so are a lot of the people, a lot of my colleagues. Well, every speaking engagement has been canceled. So what do you do? You know, you just, you say, okay, we need to pivot. We need to shift. We need to 
look for other opportunities and collaborate. And that's what you do. Yes. My husband traveled a lot with his job. And obviously that came to a screeching halt. Mm -hmm. But yet, even prior to this pandemic, my husband was like, we don't need to travel this much. Right. There is the technology affords us so many opportunities to stay at home and, and still be able to accomplish what we want. And, you know, we were looking at some technology last night too, that was might help, you know, his organization with this change. And it's like the technology is just amazing. Instead of sitting in meeting, you know, traveling, taking a day to travel, spending two or three days in meetings, you know, another day home or whatever. It's like, no, we can accomplish in one day what was taking four or five days. That's right. Because we're not wasting all that time traveling. That's right. But even though he thought of that beforehand, it took sometimes it takes something like this to go back and say, okay, I'm good with that. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, have never worked from home. And all of a sudden they're thinking, this isn't so bad. I don't really <laughs> mind this. So anyway, Cheryl, how can our uh, listeners get in touch with you, find out what you're doing, connect with you and so on? I have a couple of different websites. Probably the easiest one to remember is the ambitionquotient.com. There's a contact page there. I have another website called smartlearningforbusinesssuccess.com. And then you can email me at Cheryl at smartlearningforbusinesssuccess.com. And I would be happy to answer any questions you have. Obviously, this is my favorite subject. I like to talk about it all the time. <laughs> really? <laughs> so <laughs> I know I'm a consultant. I'm, we all have to make money. We all have to make a living. But I love to just engage with people. Mm-hmm. Like my cousin, she called me up that day, you know, she just wanted 30 minutes of my time just to kind of get my general feeling on how she should approach this. I I love to do that. I'll never be a millionaire because I feel like not just what I have to offer, but the concepts and the ideas that we've talked about today are so important Mm -hmm. that I would rather talk to somebody and not get paid than to let all of this stuff just go. Yeah. Yep. No, I agree. I agree. Cheryl, I want to thank you so much for sharing the mic with me. You have so much great information and so relevant. And I am excited that we are connected. And I can't wait to see what kind of adventures we can create together. Oh, that would be wonderful. Yes. Good. And I want to leave everybody with this quote by B.B. King. He said, the beautiful thing about learning is that no one can take it away from you. I thank you all for listening to our discussion where we share some extraordinary guests, some ideas for your business and ways to stand out as the amazing women that you are. And make sure you stay connected with us. And remember, women want to be treated equally, not identically. Until next time, this is Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman on C-Suite Radio. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.